Hello, Polytopians! Thanks for tuning in to the Polytopian Times. I'm your host, Sam, and today we're talking about the Cymanti, the devilish bugs that define the current game meta. They're the last tribe we're going to be discussing. After this, we'll be moving more to strategy discussions and other stuff. Feel free to jump on our subreddit and suggest what we'd want to look at next. And, um, well, let's jump on in. Let's go slogging through the Cymanti's savage swamps. The gray, cloudy sky above you looks ready to bring rain to the Cymanti's rugged marshes. You sit atop a giant mountain of reddish-brown dirt, a massive hill sticking out of the gentler, moss-covered slopes surrounding it. Clusters of massive old-growth conifers rise up from the soil, forming huge woods that rival the giant earthen hills in size, like immense redwood forests. Interspersed amongst the trees, you spy giant pink mushrooms with thin peaked caps, some of them with smaller growths jutting out of the main cap. Further back, beyond them, is a humongous white mushroom, a tower of mycelium with white rings uh, running up and down it, sprouting out of the forest. White tendrils run from it off into the distance, a biological highway of sorts. In the open marsh just below you is what looks like a massive droplet of dew, supersized. It's aphia nectar, a byproduct of the ecosystem of the Cymantes marsh. From around the hill from behind you comes a large yellow shape, wriggling through the trees. As it breaks into the clearing, you see that it's a lithetti. In essence, a giant yellow grub or caterpillar with a knob of a black head poking out of the end of its body. It crawls towards the nectar serenely, ready for a relaxing meal. Looking out past the nectar and the grazing lithetti, you see a swarm of fragile phyche flitting in between the branches of the forest canopy. They have thin, relatively stubby bodies with two sets of wings like a dragonfly would have, capped by a dragonfly-like head. The closest analog from our world would likely be the Meganeur of prehistory. In a clearing beyond the swarm, you see a sudden movement. Breaking out of the tree line is a herd of huge tan grubs with a bright green stripe down their backs. They're dumucks. They have two dangerous-looking pointed mandibles in front of four eyes on the side of the chitinous beast's heads. Alongside them are giant black beetles with pink spikes on the back of their carapaces, a similar bright green stripe down the middle of the shell, and white heads that look strikingly like the phytes. Those beetles are chitons. Scattered throughout the herd are large, spinely insects with a scorpion-like tail ending in a nub with a black nozzle. They have a bright green stripe running down them as well in the same phytes-like head. They're exedas, bugs capable of range bombardment. Looking closer, you see smaller, spidery silhouettes skittering amongst the larger invertebrates. Those are hexapods, with a body structure remarkably similar to the phytes, the difference being their six gangly legs in place of the phytes' four wings. The herd begins to move into the forest at the opposite end of the clearing, and you spot several figures of a different genus step out of the back of the moving morass. They're polytopians, garbed in a light green, led by a tall one in a black robe with a strange necklace and a staff topped by a skull. On each of their heads clings a gray insect. The bugs look almost larval. They cover most of the polytopians' heads and faces, so much so that the bugs' eyes cover those of their polytopian hosts. They're siru bugs. They bring to mind head crabs and face huggers, but something about them seems more benign. The Cymanti have, in fact, adapted to live symbiotically with the siru bugs, which merge with their hosts' brains. The specific advantages of this are unknown to those who haven't merged with the Siru, but it can be presumed that there are some, at the very least in the form of the Cymantes' control of the insectoid denizens of their swamp. The one leading them with the skull-topped staff must be the shaman, a mysterious figure capable of driving their chitinous hordes into a combat frenzy. The Cymanti follow the last of the herd into the trees at the edge of the marshy clearing, heading towards their city.
It's a gigantic cluster of gray hives, made of a material reminiscent of a paper wasp's hive, rising out of the wild swamp. Openings lie on the sides of the hive towers, glowing orange with the Simantes firelight. The tops of the lower towers are plain, but the taller ones have varying caps, some of them with mottled gray protrusions that look almost like scales, and some of them topped by glistening black domes of chitin. In those towering hive cities, the Simanti breed their terrifying, massive, venomous bugs, training them for battle. In warfare, the Simanti prefer to hobble their enemies with poison, lining up for the kill and using their enemies' remains to spread fours and fertilize their fungi farms. At the end of the day, that's what the Simanti want. And more specifically, the Siru bugs. They want to spread. Well, let's talk resources and terrain. The Simanti have 120% mountain spawn rates and, instead of crops, spore spawn in their lands. They're guaranteed to have at least two spores in their capital city ready to make fungi. They start the game with farming in a shaman. When playing as the Simanti, farming allows you to make fungi, but not to farm regular crops. Now, the next technology down that tech tree, rather than being construction, is recycling. It grants the decomposability to Simanti players, which allows them to destroy any building within their borders and get the full cost and stars back at the end of the turn. Keep in mind that recycling doesn't give Simanti players a windmill equivalent, so although their fungi do provide one more population than a standard farm, they can still be matched or outperformed in population production by a standard tribe player with well-implemented windmills. Instead, this tech is intended for easier changes to Simanti's internal setup when needed, and as a way to implement scorched earth tactics against difficult foes. We'll talk more about recycling later. Up next is hydrology, which replaces sailing. It allows players to build algae. After that, there's oceanology, which replaces navigation. It allows the Simanti player to make Rachi. We'll cover them in a little bit as well. Lastly, we have shock tactics, which replaces chivalry. It allows Simanti players to make Dumux, a powerful late-game unit. As far as special buildings go, uh, first off we have the fungi, which replace farms. The fungi cost 5 stars to make and provide 3 population over the course of 3 turns. The first population on the turn they're built, and then a population for each level they grow over the next 2 turns. They also have a passive defense ability, poisoning any units that uh, you know, wander through them, and they also deal a small amount of damage. They can cripple enemy advances before your units even make contact and leave invaders weakened. Easy pickings that can even leave new spores for you to grow more fungi with. They're very good. Then there's the mycelium, which replace roads. They also cost 5 stars to make, but instead of providing population directly, they instead link up nearby cities with their root system. They can connect to any cities within 3 tiles of the mycelium through field and forest, meaning one mycelium can be used to connect several cities at a low cost quickly. However, mountains and water will block their connections. Only one can be built per city, so be careful where you place yours so you don't wind up with a series of cities that's permanently disconnected from the rest of your mushroom network. Uh, keep in mind that although they do connect cities, they don't provide a movement bonus to any units walking along those connections. Instead, they do have a healing ability for all units adjacent to them at the end of one of your turns, making them like mindbenders that can't be killed. It's important to try to place them in places where they'll be able to connect cities, but also serve as a medical field station. On the sea, there's the ever-important algae, which replace ports, but they function differently. Instead of allowing units to embark on water tiles, they allow them to walk across the water, acting like bridges that can be built tile by tile. They also impede enemy ship movement, serving as rough terrain in the water, meaning you can use algae as a soft wall to prevent naval invasions from happening easily. 
The enemy will have to slowly cruise up turn by turn, vulnerable to enemy assault by sea or ground forces, until they're literally next to your cities so they can take it after bombarding it clear. This can really shift a defensive into your favor, so you can go on a counterattack. Algae costs 5 stars to build within your borders, or you can kill a poison enemy unit because they create an algae tile when they die. Or you can blow up a Rechi. Every time they explode, they create an algae tile as well. Finally, we have the Clathrus, the replacement for customs houses. Clathruses cost 5 stars to build, and they have to be adjacent to an algae tile. They generate 1 star per turn for every algae tile they're adjacent to, like a customs house would with ports, but at half the cost, but also with half the return on investment. They also poison enemy units that stray atop them, so they function in that manner sort of like fungi in the water. Then there's the special units that make Symantis offensives and defensives so different from any other tribe. First off, there's the Hexapods, which replace riders. They cost 2 stars to make, have 5 health, 3 attack, 1 defense, 2 movement, and the dash, escape, creep, and sneak abilities. The creep ability allows units to move through rough terrain, like forests and mountains, without a movement penalty. Sneak allows units to move past enemy units without stopping. They're excellent raiders and good for rapid expansion as well. They're the stalwart unit of a Symanti player's early and mid-game, oftentimes replacing both warriors and riders in the still-developing battlefield, although not on the defense specifically. Almost every unit in the game can one-shot them if they get attacked. The nifty thing is, hexapods are meant to be disposable, a fragile part of an overall more powerful swarm. If one dies, they're extremely cheap to replace, and, I mean, they're punishing on the offensive, especially when they're boosted by a shaman. Yeah, we'll get more into that later. Then there's the chitons, which replace defenders. They cost 3 stars to produce, have 20 health, 1 attack, 3 defense, 1 movement, and the poison ability. That allows chitons to poison their enemies when they attack them, and when they counterattack while defending. They function like defenders, but are even less pleasant to attack. Uh, they, as was just mentioned, deal damage and poison when attacked. Poisoned units lose all their defense bonuses, and when they die, they spread spores that fungi can be grown from or make algae in the water. This can make an offense that falters against a line of chitons get obliterated the next turn by raiding hexapods, who can take full advantage of their crippled defenses. Just keep in mind, chitons don't have the fortify ability, so they aren't the strongest unit Symantia has available for defense, although they are a versatile and punishing one still. After that, there's the Fichi, which replace archers. They cost 3 stars to make, have 5 health, 1 attack, 1 defense, 2 movement, and a range of 2 tiles. So they can attack from a distance. They have the dash, poison, and fly abilities. They can do damage in large numbers, but they serve best as a cost-effective way to deliver poison to an enemy at a range, weakening them for a strike by a melee unit like a hexapod. The fly ability allows them to fly over any terrain without a movement penalty, which means this can be the cheapest option for the Cymanti to start exploring overseas in the early and early mid-game. They can also serve as a cheap way to supplement naval combat with cities that are otherwise landlocked and thus unable to produce Rechi to assist with the fight. They're fragile, but easy to spam and versatile in their various utilities. The other ranged unit the Cymanti have are the Exitas, which replace catapults. They cost 8 stars, have 10 health, 3 attack, 1 defense, 1 movement, and a range of 3 tiles. That's right, a catapult unit with defense. Pretty good, eh? They have the poison and uh, splash abilities. Splash, in this case, doesn't exactly do damage to those surrounding units, but instead it just poisons them. A few Exitas, though, can soften up entire enemy front lines and end sieges, and they're the only effective way for a Cymanti player to respond to a threat from a range. They have more defense than a catapult would, obviously, and that makes them real resilient if they have to go to the front line, especially when they get that defense bonus. But they're still pretty fragile. Keep them safe. You'd be surprised how useful they can be. 
After that, we have the Indomitable Dumox, which replaces Nice. They cost 10 stars, have 20 health, 4 attack, 2 defense, 3 movement, and the dash creep and explode abilities. Explode allows the unit to detonate, inflicting poison and collateral damage to surrounding units. They're strong when used as a more permanent cavalry unit or when blown up for immediate devastation, and they shouldn't be underestimated, although they are very expensive to produce. You want to make sure they get to do the maximum amount of damage possible for the amount of stars you spend on them. Using them to blow up a lone defender is a losing trade-off. They'll be your favorite late-game mainstay, crushing enemies and clearing battlefields. Dumux spam can be overwhelming in the late game, especially when they're boosted. Just keep in mind they're more for land battles, although they can fight at sea out in the algae too. And then at sea, there's the Voracious Raichi, which replaces boat ships and battleships alongside the Fichi. They cost 5 stars to make, have 15 health, 3 attack, 2 defense, 3 movement, and the dash, creep, explode, float, and navigate abilities. Float allows units to move on the water. Navigates allows units to move in any terrain, even if you don't have the tech necessary to move there. And none of Simanti's techs enable movement in the water, so it's essential to have navigate and float. Raichi can only be spawned in coastal cities with at least one tile touching the city being water, and they can't move on land past taking over cities, so they're limited to whatever body of water they spawn in. They're also limited to melee combat, but they're strong there, and they can explode, creating algae and damaging and poisoning a mass of enemies at once. They'll be your only feasible way to pull off a naval invasion, being able to take off coastal cities themselves, and being one of the few ways a Simanti player can create an algae bridge outside of their own territory. The last insectoid, the Simanti commander, are the behemoth centipedes, which replace giants. They're earned by leveling cities up to level 5 or past, or they can be found in ruins. They have 20 health, 4 attack, 3 defense, 2 movement, and the dash, creep, and eat abilities. With the eat ability, when a centipede kills an enemy unit, it creates a new segment on its body, growing in length for each kill. This brings us to the secondary portion of the centipede's body, the segment. Each segment has 10 health, 2 defense, 1 movement, and the creep, explode, and independent abilities. Independent just means that the segments don't count against the population of the centipede's home city, so it never counts as more than one total population used. An interesting thing about segments is that if the head of the centipede is destroyed, but a segment lives, the surviving segment turns into a brand new full health centipede head. This makes them tough adversaries to kill before they get a chance to grow. With their strong stats, decent movement, and the dash ability, they make threatening figures on the battlefield, able to chomp through front lines and seize enemy cities irrevocably. They're only fast while they're only as big as their head, though, as they become limited to the single-tile movement of the segments on their body once they grow. They can choose to explode segments at will, which can free the head up to dash towards an opponent, or deal damage and poison to all surrounding enemies, or just seed an empty tile with spores some more fungi can be grown. Use your centipedes wisely. They're very powerful and are arguably Simanti's best unit next to, perhaps, the Dumux. The last special unit the Simanti field are their shamans, which replace Mindbenders. They cost 5 stars, have 10 health, 1 attack, 1 defense, 1 movement, and the convert and boost abilities. Convert allows units to convert an enemy unit to their side by attacking it, but more importantly, boost, which replaces heals, allows shamans to give surrounding friendly units a temporary increase in their movement and attack. It's a very strong ability that makes shamans very valuable tools for a Simanti player, allowing them to keep up a stream of reinforcements to the front or guarantee one-shot kills on warriors and below in terms of health and defense. Boosting can also give you the advantage you need to overwhelm enemy defenses and even capture cities. Don't underestimate its value. The Siamantis start with a Shaman in their capital, and it's one of the strongest tools in their arsenal in the early game, allowing them to pull off stunts they otherwise wouldn't be able to. You'll generally want to keep that Shaman alive and get more. Besides, you get a tech discount too.
With all their gameplay changes in mind, what are some overall advantages and disadvantages of the tribe? They have strong offensive capabilities, fungi that can serve as a natural barrier between you and your enemies while also giving you three population, the unique ability to disregard terrain with their offensive units, except warriors and swordsmen, access to cheap and strong attackers, road networks that serve as hospitals instead of highways, poison that eliminates defensive capabilities, and explosions that can just absolutely devastate opponents. However, they have a relatively weak naval game, especially in the late game, a deficit of capable ranged units, the Exeda is their only hard hitter, their insect units don't have fortify bonuses so they aren't ideal for city defense, even though the Chitin is a defender replacement. Hexapods and Fichi have almost no health and defense so they're extremely risky to produce near the front line and can wind up not being a viable option due to proximity of enemies alone, and their replacement for the Customs House is half the potential return on investment. Still, it's not a shock that the Cymanti dominate the meta in their current state. Well, uh, let's talk about some Cymanti strategies. Starting off, we can look at the various options a Cymanti player has at the start. They're guaranteed to have fungi in their capital, so they can be a Suedo turn zero tribe. It usually makes sense to go for the fungi to boost your economic performance. If you're fighting another Cymanti player or just need to forward sell an opponent, you can opt to rush riding for hexapods instead, but that's a risky move. Past that, the question is what to do with your shaman. They're certainly capable enough explorers and have the potential to mind bend the first enemy they walk into, turning the table on an enemy, but I often find that to be too risky. Personally, I think keeping the shaman close to the capital so they can boost units is more important than using them to explore or try to convert an enemy. That brings me to my personal favorite starting play. You'll want to move your shaman behind your capital on your first turn and build a fungi. On your second turn, your capital will level up. Choose the forge and create a warrior, then boost that warrior with your shaman. On the third turn, send your boosted warrior off to find a new city now that they have the same movement as a rider, and create a second warrior in your capital, then boost that with your shaman. On your fourth turn, send your second boosted warrior off to explore for a new city as well. Now that your capital city's unit population is maxed out, you won't be able to make any more units until you settle your first new city or one of them dies. At this point, you can use your starting shaman to explore around the capital as well, although I advise you to keep it near your capital so you can boost any new units you produce there. As well as that, on your fourth turn you also have six stars saved up now, and you buy whatever tech you want or grow that second fungi. I usually go with riding unless it's a naval dominated map. From there, just play aggressively and try to stay on the offensive. Again, if you're playing against another Cymanti player and want to get hexapods first so you can hit unprepared opponents, there's nothing wrong with that, so long as you understand the trade-off you're getting with a weaker economy. I'd still advise keeping the Shaman by the capital and using it to boost the hexapods so they're incredibly fast and powerful. Let's move on to some more general advice. You know, before we discuss advice for more specific situations, let's take a brief look at how a Cymanti player is best off defending their lands, you know, if it ever comes to that. In the early game, the threat is likely going to come from an enemy's warrior spam, perhaps supplemented by riders and potentially archers, although that's far less likely. In this case, the hexapods are going to be a dangerous proposition to use because of how easily they're killed. You're unlikely to have chitons at this point, although they would be wise to get, and your shaman is too valuable to wantonly be sacrificed for an extra turn. Your best early game defender is, instead, the humble warrior. They can take a hit, they're cheap, and they have the fortify ability, which means they get a city defense bonus. In fact, the only units Cymanti have which can get a city defense bonus are the warrior and the swordsman, both the polytopian-based military units that melded with the Siru. That's the main purpose of warriors and swordsmen in Cymanti games, to be the best defenders they can throw up, for warriors at least until chitons appear. They're also the only reason you get walls as a Cymanti player. 
In general, because their units don't get a defense bonus from cities, there's no point in investing in walls. Instead, it's better to get the star return that can be redirected into your economy, or used to produce more units. The only case in which that's different is if there's a city that's highly contested, and which needs to offer an increased defense bonus. Ideally, it should be a choke point the enemy can't get through, and even with walls, you'll want to get swordsmen defending that city, if possible. Chitons are great for defense, but they need to do their job away from the city a bit so you can keep up production and so they can hopefully get a terrain defense bonus. You can attack with them, but they're best left to just passively poison attackers while healing up the next turn. You can also put the defensive line by a mycelium stock, which will double the healing they get every turn to 8 health points. If you wind up with a defensive line of chitons keeping enemy at bay, your best bet is try to use exitas to bombard the enemies from a range so you can ultimately break out and resume the offensive. Simanti does favor the attack, after all. One other thing to keep in mind is the effectiveness of fungi in passive defense. Place them in places that obstruct enemy movement, forcing them to have to go through the fungi, or out of their way to go around. The passive poisoning will make it easy to counterattack the invading forces, and, in general, non-Samanti players do their best to avoid the fungi at all costs, because they absolutely do not want poisoned attackers. As battles rage on and more poisoned units die or units explode creating spores, the fungi wall can spread and create a penetrable but devastating forest of just passive damage. I like to call these fungi defensive walls the Mushroom Curtain tactic, in reference to the Iron Curtain of the Cold War. It can make an opponent halt their offensive and allows you to strike them through it unaffected. Alongside their defensive units, this can make for an effective defensive. Well, let's look at how a Simanti player can adapt their strategies based on the map types. First off, let's look at Drylands maps, arguably their most favorable terrain. On Drylands maps, Simanti players should rely on their speed and ferocity to carry them through. In the early and early mid-game, a swarm of hexapods can reveal the map rapidly, enabling quick expansion and unveiling opponents. Hit them hard early on and you should be able to crunch through their defenses. Rushing an early centipede can lock down an early game victory, and at the very least it comes on the back of economic growth that can support the war effort. Dumux will be highly effective alongside centipedes in the mid and late game, so leverage them. Don't worry about being able to respond to your opponent's ranged fire with your own. On a drylands map, you can usually reach them with your bugs once you see them. On lakes maps, you'll play with a focus on dryland style combat and strategies, but you have the additional bonus of leveraging the lakes early on and throughout the game. Early on, Simanti players can send Fichi across them to explore and harass enemies, and use them as places to fire poison with impunity until enemy archers join the scene. You can also build algae bridges across them and grow some leveled up clathrises. The economic reward is obvious, and the ability to change the front line at will, creating a new avenue for invasion is powerful, and can change the dynamics of a battlefield that may have gotten dug in. The other thing lakes provide, as long as you have a coastal city, is a place for Rachi to join the fight. Surprise Rachi can swarm and overwhelm a city that's technically behind the enemy's front lines on land, but that's vulnerable by sea, and this can cause absolute havoc in an enemy's defense. Look for opportunities to leverage weak spots and use the Simanti's overall cheap but strong Rechi, supported by Fichi, to crush whatever navies they throw together or ravage coastal units and cities. Continents maps are going to be the first maps you really incentivize to use Rechi on. You'll have the potential to run into early game conflicts, but more likely than not, you'll have a continent to yourself when you start. Your best move is to expand and get either Fichi or Rechi so you can start exploring over water. Fichi are cheaper and easier to get out in the early and early mid-game for exploration and acquisition of neutral villages, but they're nowhere near as useful for combat. Rachi are strong, but require a tier 3 tech to produce, are more expensive, can't explore land, and you'll have fewer available coastal cities to produce them in. I'd recommend Fichi for quick early game exploration, 
they can also support land conflicts. And then pivoting over to producing as many Rechi as you can, producing Fichi in the cities that can't make Rechi. Bonus points if you have multiple shamans to boost all these new units you're creating. In combat, the Fichi are best used to support the Rechi, poisoning enemies so your Rechi can do massive damage, and even being able to kill off already weakened opponents on your own. Exeta provide a great way to kill enemy vessels at range, and they also weaken opponents lining a player up for easy kills. Remember, sometimes you need to build up a troop presence, so just blowing up your Rechi isn't always their best use. Your main targets with the Rechi in naval combat will be enemy battleships, especially giant battleships. They're the most expensive units your opponent will have, so if you can kill them with three Rechi or less, you come out on top in terms of stars spent on combat. At the end of the day, on a continent's maps, you'll be both attacking with your Rechi and Fichi, and also building algae bridges so you can send hexapods and dumux across the sea to fight on your enemy's shores. You can skip on an algae bridge if you take a beachhead in the form of a coastal city. With that, you can start producing and send land units to attack, or just obstruct enemy efforts and keep raiding with Fichi and Rechi from sea. Don't ignore the potential damage an Exeda can do from that beachhead, too. You'll just need to keep them protected. If you do go for creating algae bridges and blooms, don't forget to set up some ideal spots for Clathrises so you can both increase your star income and create water hazards other players will have to avoid. And remember, you can use the algae to form walls in the water that will stop enemy vessels from progressing further. They'll be stuck moving turn by turn while you'll have the capability to move on or through the algae unhindered. You can even wait for a mass of enemy units to hit the edge of the algae and get stuck and then spring a trap with hexapods, rechi, fichi, or exedas and wipe out a chunk of their navy at once. Use the algae's terrain advantage to punish any would-be invaders. Archipelago maps are going to play basically the same as continents maps. If anything, it'll probably be easier to build algae bridges and march troops across them. Waterworld's maps are, in my opinion, the Symantis' weakest environmental setup, because you really, you just really can't rush early game, and because of how much of an overwhelming advantage you have to get at mid-game to be able to pull off a victory. You'll be relying hard on algae and clathrises, both for economic potential and to terraform the sea into a defensible space. Overall, the Symanti aren't necessarily bad at naval warfare, but against a competent opponent and on larger bodies of water, they fall behind hard in the late game, especially once battleships come out en masse. On top of that, the amount of empty space between cities makes algae bridges much harder to build, so you're limited to mostly naval invasions. Of course, you should still be able to reach every city because they'll be coastal, but it still takes half the Symanti's power away and they become vulnerable to battleships, and even the ships ranged fire. You won't have anywhere to stick a support Exeda either, so you won't be able to rely on range power at all. You'll be limited to using mostly Fichi and Rechi, and that'll really hamper your potential power. They can still be fun games to play, but keep in mind Waterworlds are the only maps where Symanti could be considered to have a sound disadvantage. Well, let's pivot to talking about strategies for different map sizes and player densities. Starting off, let's talk about small 1v1 and loosely populated maps. When you're playing a smaller map that isn't crowded, you want to be really aggressive about expanding early on. Your hexapods will give you an advantage in claiming most of the map, and because there are so few cities and they're so close together, there's a high likelihood that you'll be able to take over rival empires using just hexapods and warriors. If you're playing on a naval map, don't fret. You'll be able to get Rechi or Fichi up to expand over the water, or start fighting enemy navies easily enough, and you'll be fighting in a very small body of water, so you won't have to worry about sending in reinforcements quickly. Plus, algae bridges are going to be much easier to build, and you'll be able to just mire up the water to stall enemy movement easily enough as well. The biggest risk to a Symanti player on a map this size is an enemy player spawning close to them and pressuring them with warrior spam. 
You'll be able to fend the warriors off for the most part with the extra power of the starting shaman's boost, but if there's more than one opponent on the map that early, setback can still be enough to put you on a more permanent back foot. Small crowded maps will be fairly crazy, but you should be able to beat enemies back and make territory gains as long as you don't have the misfortune of spawning next to a uh, Vengir, Hudrick, or Illyrian player. In games of this nature, don't send your shaman off to explore and die. Instead, keep him home real close to home, because it's almost a guarantee some unlucky unit will stumble in front of them, allowing for a steal and because you'll need the extra power from the boost no matter what. You're fighting in what is in essence a cage match, and you'll need every advantage you can get. Chitons make a lot of sense to use on these maps because they can take a couple of hits and they'll poison enemy units, so when you kill them with, say, a boosted warrior, you can start farming more spores in your capital in any cities you claim. That'll create a natural barrier, weakening any enemies that try to invade, and you'll be able to finish them off with boosted units. Send Chitons off into masses of enemy units to obstruct their movement and to force them to have to engage with the giant shield bug, getting severely hurt and poisoned in the process. Once you get a little breathing room, you can start spawning hexapods to really turn the tides. But be careful where you spawn them, because enemies can take advantage of their lack of health and defense and steal those cities from you, sometimes without any recourse available to you. Centipedes will make a world of difference for you, and you're much more likely to get those than Dumucks given the intensity of the fight you'll be in. Use them to ravage front lines and take cities quickly. Support them with Fight and Hexapods, poisoning their targets with a Fight and clearing out any enemies that could do damage to the centipedes with the Hexapods. With the Hexapods, look for insta-kill targets, like enemy riders or archers when attacking, so you can retreat your bug after the attack with full health. Keep up the pressure and you can dominate the cage match, terraforming it with fungi into your own personal invertebrate paradise, and making it a hell on earth for everyone else. On larger 1v1 and loosely populated maps, you'll have room to grow and terraform before you run into your enemy. You'll want to rush philosophy early on, just due to the sheer number of cities that you'll wind up with, so you can counter rapidly increasing tech costs before they become an issue, and so you'll have the ability to create shamans and boost your forces for an edge when you do engage with your enemy. On a drylands map, you'll be doing mass expansion with a swarm of hexapods, running from mountain to mountain and claiming every single free village you run into. You'll be able to level up those cities fairly quickly while you expand, and you'll have no problem getting the techs you need with 33% tech discount from philosophy. On a naval map, your best bet is to spam out Fichi early on because they're cheap and can explore both land and sea. Mind you, on lakes, still play more like the drylands. Anywho, uh, you're going to want to send that swarm across the water and claim all the free villages you can until you run into an opponent. And uh, if you get to the point where you can afford to spam out Raichi instead of Fichi and you haven't reached an enemy yet, definitely switch over. My advice is to build up a cluster of them into a boosted strike force. And then when you make first contact with an enemy, as long as they're in range, you can do devastating damage and even take over an unsuspecting city with ease. Keep in mind the one thing that the Simanti don't have is a unit with a scout ability. They don't have any techs enabling movement on water, so explorers won't be able to go further than the shore or out on the algae at best. You won't easily be able to uncover enemy territory when you run into them because of this. A Simanti player's best bet in this situation is to send Kamikaze Faichi off to uncover as much territory as they can before they die. This is best done with boosted flies. Your most surefire way to effectively uncover enemy terrain will be sending that fly to a mountain on an enemy's shores if possible. Otherwise, scout the coast with Raichi and try to get, I don't know, some boosted flies in their lands where you need more visions. With that said, on a large map, ultimately you're building up to the point where you can spam out boosted Dumux or Raichi to overwhelm enemies, supported by Fichi, Exitas, and Centipedes. Boosted Raichi won't do as your mainstay in a naval game. At the very least, you can create algae bridges and begin the Dumux invasion. 
Even if the enemy makes ports and temples to block the bridge, you can still get Exeda close on the bridge and bombard them from offshore, softening up the enemy so your Rachis can finally make some claims. Once you conquer that city, you can recycle their temples and get 20 stars for free. It only costs 5 stars to connect the bridge and replace the lost population, so you come out 15 stars richer. If you run into catapults firing from behind the fog of war, send Kamikaze Fichi off to spot and poison them so you can counter them with your Gazeta. Take their ranged units out as a top priority, and you should be able to lock down your victory. Once you reach those new lands, send a flood of reinforcements over the bridge and start spawning new ones in Euro lands. Recycle the old improvements on the land and replace them with spores from Dumux and Centipede segments so you can make a fortress city on their home turf. Overall, with Saimanji, their strength lines in swarm tactics, more so than with any other tribe. Larger maps, with their many cities, provide the Samanti with a perfect way to maximize that advantage. On larger crowded maps, the Saimanti are again best going on the aggressive. They'll have a decently sized cluster of cities they don't start right next to another empire, and that will be enough space for them to grow strong quickly and then strike out at other weaker foes. They'll grow fat and strong on conquest, eating up enemy territory for an extremely fast economic growth. As long as other players don't band together against you, you're very likely to become the strongest empire on the map by virtue of the Saimanti's aptitude for war, and even if they do, there's a good chance you'll come out on top. Just terraform the land and sea to defend you and keep the swarm billowing forth, and they should falter beneath your multitude of bugs. Well, let's go over some advice for each stage of the game. In the early game, your focus is going to be on rapid expansion and economic growth. Hexapods will help you expand quickly with their unhindered movement and speed, and fungi both level cities up and provide defenses. When you run into enemies, hexapods are likely going to be your best friend as well. They can kill stuff real good, raid like pros, and they're ultra cheap. Boast them, and they can one-shot warriors, the toughest units you'll probably see in the early game. If you're on a large map and you have some breathing room, this is also the best time to rush philosophy so you can maximize the stars you save on tax, which you'll need to upgrade your lands further. In the mid-game, you're going to need to shift your focus from hexapods to a larger variety of forces. At sea, this is where you'll see Fichi and Raichi make an appearance, and on land, there's a good chance you'll have chitons, Fichi, and centipedes in the mix as well as warriors and hexapods. If you haven't gotten philosophy yet, this is the second best time to get it so you can save some overall stars, but again, don't focus on rushing it if that means you leave yourself vulnerable as a result. You are going to want to get some shamans up to get a boosting, after all. Don't underestimate the value of your Fichi in this phase of the game. Sure, they're weak, but they're poison snipers who are perfect for weakening a fortified city so you can take it, as well as being essential for countering defender, swordsman, and warrior spam. A Fichi can weaken the warrior enough that a hexapod can one-shot them, and with the defenders and swordsmen, that likewise makes them easier to dispatch, although it'll still take two hexapods to kill them. But that's good overall, because those dead poison units give you more spores to terraform with, which will make countering future invasions even easier. And you technically come out a star better on the uh, trade-off of units, and all that extra income from the uh, fungi, that makes it easier to get to spamming out the late-game units that can really dominate the battlefield. Which brings us to the late-game, where you're most going to need shamans to boost your units for an edge. In this stage, your Dumux and Rechi will dominate with their explosive damage and hard melee hits, while your Xetas will rain down poisonous acid from above. All of this is much stronger when done by boosted units, and in this phase of the game, you need every advantage you can get, even with something as simple as the speed at which you can get reinforcements. This is the stage of the game where the conflict is at its greatest scale, after all. Utilize your terraform territory to keep enemies at bay and hit hard with your boosted late-game powerhouses. Well, let's talk about some tactics you can use on the battlefield. First off, the obvious algae bridge tactic. You make enough algae to connect to land masses and then send units through to attack. Fairly simple. 
to build parts of the bridge outside of your borders, blow up Rachi, or kill poison enemy units. One thing to consider with this is that it's technically a two-way bridge, so if you fail in your offensive, your enemy can turn around and use it against you, although they won't be able to speed across since algae counts as rough terrain and limits movement to one tile, like forests or mountains would. Still, it sucks seeing a swordsman trapsing across the algae-covered sea to attack you. If you are concerned about the enemy coming across to fight you, you can always leave a gap and send Exita to stand on the edge of the bridge and bombard impotence instead. Then there's the Hex defense. That's fairly simple as well. When you get attacked, you use hex pods to kill the attackers and then dart them back to safety in your lands, ready to strike again. It can dishearten aggressive opponents in the early game. There's also the skittering ants tactic for the offense. What you do is send hexapods off to attack your enemy in their borders, and then you send them off in many different directions after they attack so you can reveal more of the enemy's territory, as well as force them to send units out of their way to ensure the hexapods aren't a threat later. It's great for disorienting enemies and scouting at the same time, optimally in the early to mid game, when you're most likely to have the capability to produce swarms of hexapods every turn. After that, we have the Merry Smurfapods. This tactic is really effective in the early and early mid game when you're close to an opponent. What you'll do is send hexapods to raid into enemy territory, killing vulnerable targets like archers, riders, and weakened warriors, or attacking full health warriors, after which you can return your hexapods to a nearby mycelium with their escape abilities, then heal back up to 100% health, ready for another raid. Bonus points if you put a shaman on the mycelium, so you can boost the hexapods at the start of each turn after they heal at the end of the last one. After that, we have the fly swarm tactic. It's one of the best ways to make Fai a tangible force, especially over water. You create and send a swarm of Faichi to attack opponents together, so they deal more damage to units that got poisoned at the start of the swarm's attack, and this makes them capable of getting a kill. This tactic works really well against the early and mid-game units that have a defense value of 1, like boats, archers, riders, and mindbenders. Once those units get poisoned, the Faichi's attack is stronger than the poison unit's defense, and they can deal a substantial amount of damage. It's great for harassing someone who's trying to send a fleet of warrior boats at you, weakening them greatly before they get a chance to land on your shores. I mean, it can even counter catapult spam to a decent extent. Then there's shield bug espionage. Basically, people don't like hitting chitons, so send them to explore enemy lands. They can usually make it a decent way in and reveal a solid chunk of enemy territory before they get squashed out of necessity, especially if they happen to stumble upon a mountain and get that vision boost. To make the chitons last longer and see more, move them from cover to cover so they have a defense bonus as often as possible. One of my absolute favorite tactics, and in my opinion, one of the best for the late game, is what I call industrial boosting. In essence, you get as many shamans outside as many cities as you can, and then you boost all of the new units you make every time you make a new one. This way, everything you produce is boosted and able to reach the front lines quicker and do more damage when they get there. It's pretty amazing how strong a Siamanti player can become with industrial boosting. Last but not least, we have environmentally friendly scorched earth tactics. This tactic is mostly viable in games where you're stuck and the opponent is capable of reclaiming that territory. More specifically, when you take an enemy city that's been giving you a hard time, one that's been traded back and forth, what you can do is use recycling to destroy the improvements in that city, giving you all the stars spent on those improvements while also opening up empty land to be turned into fungi as long as it's a frontline city, or you can spare centipede segments or dumux to create the spores. If the enemy reclaims the city, they either have to spend a large amount of stars to rebuild, or accept that it will not be contributing to their economy anymore, and will instead just serve as a place where they can spawn more units and get a healing boost, as long as their units aren't poisoned. Well, now that we've taken a look at how to play as the Simanti, let's discuss how to play against them. 
When you play against the Simanti, you need to change how you think. You want to think your moves through multiple turns of play, so you can position units where they're needed and line up for future conquests. Keep in mind unit ranges. Most of the Simanti's units are limited to melee, and their explosions only hit adjacent units, so position your units, especially your ranged ones, out of harm's way. Be careful about how much you move your units. Sometimes it's ideal to move them less than their max movement speed based on the range of the incoming insects, so you can prevent them from being hurt and can send them into attack after the Simanti's player's turn at full strength. Keep in mind some Simanti players will rush headlong into situations. This can absolutely be used to your advantage. In the early game, use warrior spam to counter them, especially their hexapods. Forward settling Simanti players can also be devastating. They're strong on the offense, but weak on the defense. Shield walls, supported by archers, can make for an effective way to keep them out of your territory while you develop, and the majority of their early game units are susceptible to persist chains from knights. Swordsmen can make the most cost-effective way to handle the majority of what the Simanti can throw at you, while also building a force capable of counterattacking. Replace the defenders in your shield walls with swordsmen and support them with ranged units like archers, and you should have a better chance of surviving an attack by the Simanti and be able to turn the offense on them. For countering the centipedes specifically, use range support and kill them from the tail to the head. The trick here is killing them before they get a chance to eat another unit and grow. This can be daunting in the early and early mid-game, but with swordsmen, archers, catapults, battleships, and knights in the late mid and late game, it becomes much less troublesome. Knights especially can destroy a centipede's entire body in one turn, and then can cripple the head afterwards. Just make sure to finish the head off, or else it'll simply eat the wounded knight and grow another segment. A good combination to use for city conquest is swordsmen or giants supported by catapults. The catapults can weaken enemy forces, allowing the swordsman or giant to finish off the foe and hopefully tape the city. You want to use the swordsmen or giants so they'll be able to attack successfully if they need to to take the city, and so they'll have enough health and a high enough defense to survive the retaliation the bugs will assuredly send. At sea, keep your battleships at a distance from their reaches as best you can. A distance means enough distance so the Simanti player can't counterattack, and make sure to account for how much they'll move their Rechi next turn in that calculation. If they have unboosted Rechis six tiles away from your battleship, only move your battleships two tiles forward. Shoot from afar whenever possible so they can't counterattack when you fire. Also, keep in mind that they can only create algae on unoccupied tiles, so if you line your shores with ports and water temples, they won't be able to build an algae bridge to invade you with. Limiting their ability to invade your cities to only Rechi and Fight is a good way to frustrate a Simanti player. Just be aware, if they do take the city, there's a good chance they'll recycle the temples or ports for a star boost. Keeping Rechi at a distance is easier said than done against a unit that has max or greater range than even the best ship. This is where timing and shielding comes into play. Sacrifice boats or ships as meat shields and upgrade the ones that survive into battleships to attack, since they'll be closer already. In the presence of ship superiority, a relatively immobilized Rechi is a dead Rechi. That means a group of three Rechi can be immobilized by an 8-cost ship or a 3-cost boat, giving your battleships more room to maneuver without getting hit back by Rechis. Don't mass them all together either, as it makes a cost-effective way for a Rechi to blow up in front and kill multiple battleships at once. Another option, although it may not be the best counter, is to shield squat sticking enough defenders on their territory in the early game to prevent them from using their resources. It can be fun to watch them flail around without access to centipedes, and it's at least extremely satisfying. One other thing to consider is the increased value of mindbenders when fighting the Simanti. 
When they heal units, they remove the poison status. That's useful on every front with a Psymanty, but it's most useful in naval warfare for saving giant battleships. If they get poison and damage but survive the turn, you can retreat your flagship behind the rest of your fleet, bring it to a nearby shore with Mindbenders, who can also heal multiple units at once, they just have to be adjacent. With the poison status gone, the battleship can then heal at a normal rate, boosted by the Mindbenders healing on top of that. And with such expensive units, that's not the worst idea, as opposed to sacrificing them to be turned into algae. On a different note, bug-on-bug warfare is different from any else in the game. If we're going to cover countering the Simanti, we would be remiss if we didn't touch upon it. So let's do that! When fighting against Simanti players, you need to keep in mind that although you can both poison each other with ease, aside from mycelium, there are no easy ways to get unpoisoned. You'll also find that trading hexapods can be frustrating. Boosting your units can give you an edge, especially close to your territory where there's likely more support available. Centipedes will be terrifying when they come at you, but they can be killed at the cost of a few hexapods fairly easily. Just understand their sacrifice is worthy. Shamans can also mind bend on suspecting centipedes that end their turn too close to the fog of war. You'll need to be extra aggressive since neither of you will be good at defending against the other's hexapod attacks, and later on the same thing will play out with Dumux. At sea, the advantage will come from better understanding of how to support Raichi with Faichi, algae bridges, and general use of boosting. It'll probably come down to which player has more coastal cities that can make Raichi. Well, we've covered how to play as a Simanti, and how to counter them, at least a little. So, why would we choose to use this tribe? In a less serious sense, you can bug the other players and make other insect-related puns. Also, if you fancy yourself as a highly aggressive player who likes rushing, or favored the Zerg when you played StarCraft, this tribe will gratify your needs more than any other tribe. On a more serious note, their poison ability changes the nature of warfare in-game fundamentally, and they have great giants, amazing riders, and knight replacements, and the ability to boost their units to make them even stronger and faster. They just utterly dominate the current meta. What do you have to lose? Well, this brings us to the end of the last Tribe episode. It's been quite the journey, and I want to thank you all for coming along. But I promise, it's not the end of the podcast by any means. We here at the Polytopian Times are looking forward to the next year of the podcast now that we've gone through all the Tribes. We've been asking you what you want to hear next on the Polytopian Times subreddit. We've got our first suggestion from user Tan11Pan. They requested we take a bit of a deeper dive into the various units standard tribes have at their disposal, so next week we'll be looking at the true value of warriors and how best to use them. As always, thanks for tuning into the Polytopian Times. See you next week.